0: All right, Galatians. Nope, not, just kidding, Colossians chapter one. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long morning, friends. You know what that's a cue for? We need to pray. Okay, let's pray. God, help us today um, to uh, get into your word. And God, we just ask, as I, just, I feel like I pray this every time before we teach, but we just don't really, we're not interested in getting smarter here. We, we want to meet you. We want to walk with you. We want to interact with your Holy Spirit. We want you to show us words of life. We want you to transform us. We don't just want to get smarter this morning. And so, God, as we read uh, the scriptures, we just pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would translate for us, that you would speak uh, to us words of truth. God, I pray uh, just for, for me and for my words that they would come from you. I pray against any, uh, any distraction and just ask for focus and for clarity this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're dealing with, uh, in the book of Colossians, uh, we're dealing with a little bit of a transition. And I'll say this, if I had to do this over again, I would change my approach. I, I wish that I would have gone a little bit further last week. I wish that we would have gotten into chapter 2, at least the first few verses, uh, because. But but it was a time thing. Anyway. I would adjust it if I did it differently uh, or if I did it again. But uh, so I'm just telling you, this is going to be a little bit of a struggle because what we're going to be in is kind of the closing of last uh, of the thoughts from our last section uh, and then kind of the beginning of a new Uh, kind of a new thought process. And so the challenge here is going to be, okay, we got to reconnect the dots from last week um, and then finish and then start a new thought process without really getting into it. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to read a conclusion and an introduction and that's it. And so that's going to be the challenge. I wish we had, you know, two or three hours this morning. We could go uh, deeper into chapter two, but uh, who wants to stay for that? None of you? Okay. So We'll just do the introduction and the conclusion. So, uh, I'm sorry, the conclusion and the introduction. So, to try and make sense of this, is everybody tracking? You kind of understand what the challenge is this morning? Okay. So, if you walk away from here and go, man, he really handled that poorly. I started with a tough deck, okay? So, um, let's get a little momentum, and uh, we're going to start from last week's uh, passage. We're going to read uh, from verse 24, and I'm going to read all the way all the way through to uh, to verse eight, Okay, so I'm going to read our whole text this morning and uh, and then we'll start breaking it down. So uh, verse 24 of chapter 1 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirit excuse me, spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So I don't know if you, if you kind of saw it there. Uh, the, the real transition into the meat of what we're going to talk about next week is in verse 6 of chapter, uh, of chapter 2, where it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, so that therefore, remember we always say, what's the therefore, therefore? That's the transition, okay? So we're going to get a little bit into what we'll be talking about uh, next week. As far as the beginning of chapter 2 all the way until uh, verse 6, it's kind of a conclusion of what he's been describing as his ministry um, to the Gentile world. So if if you just read it, but if you remember last week, we talked about in verse 24 through 29, how Paul is describing his sufferings for the sake of the body of Christ. We made a huge emphasis last week on how Paul saw his salvation. What is the context in which Paul saw his salvation? And what's the context in which you see your salvation? And we read from from this passage that Paul saw his salvation in light of, of the hope that he would bring other people Through the message of the gospel, he didn't see his salvation as this uh, deeply, uh, sorry, this only personal thing that was between him and Jesus. He saw his salvation as that that God uh, gave a portion of his infinite grace to me that I might know Christ so that I might make him known. We talked about how kind of in, in, in Western church, a lot of times all we really talk about is this personal relationship with Jesus. And that is true. And we had some great discussion uh, in our Monday night group. So if you're able to, to come to that, I would really recommend it. It really helps us dialogue through these. Uh, but the guys, I can speak for the guys. We had some really great discussion. And one of the questions that was asked is, does this mean that, that this personal relationship with Jesus isn't, it, it, are we not emphasizing that? And that's not the case. It's not that we're de-emphasizing that we have a personal relationship with Jesus. We absolutely do. It is a personal relationship with Christ. He makes himself known to us. We, uh, we respond in faith and receive him as Lord, and it is personal. It's personal um, in that he even moves in and takes up residence in you by his Holy Spirit the moment that you become a believer. So it's absolutely personal. But Paul didn't see it as, here's the deal, only personal. Paul saw this act of grace towards him as personal and intimate, but for the sake of those around him. He saw it in the context of him pouring out now his life for the sake of others. And my statement last week was that I think we have a, we have a problem in the way that we view our salvation because we only view it as personal many times. This is my personal faith. I'll deal with God in my own box, and that's really it. And we have to get outside of that. We have to see that God has saved us for the person next to you. That this whole thing is about the body of Christ, about his people, about the church. And so your salvation has everything to do with the people that are in your life, with the person next to you. It has to do with those who are believers uh, next to you in your life. And it has to do with those who do not yet know him. And Paul then, uh, so be- because of that, he could pour his life out and rejoice in his sufferings. And he understood, he, says, you know, he said, talked about filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This wasn't that Christ hadn't suffered enough. But he understood that the pathway to the gospel being known was through suffering. That it was through pouring out my life. It was through sacrifice that the gospel is made known. So that's why he says, it's my joy to live in this sacrificial way, to pour my life out, because I see that's why God saved me, so that I could do it. And that's why it's joyful, right? And we, we the most important thing that I, uh, you know, I, I think we mentioned, the danger is we hear that and we get all rah-rah, and we go, okay, I want to pour my life out for other people. And we miss the statement in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me though Paul would live his life, pour out his life on behalf of others, he never did it uh, on his own power and in his own initiative. He did it through the power of God that was working in him uh, powerfully. And we have to understand that to live that way and not run out quickly, we have to do it based on his strength that he works in us. So his energy that he powerfully will work within you. So that was, that was last week. Now, Keep that momentum, okay? Keep that momentum and let's jump into chapter two. So he's gonna kind of conclude that argument and then he's gonna, he's gonna make it bigger and more general, okay? So he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, right? And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so he's going to start setting up the transition. But I want you to just see a few things in this setup. So he's going to kind of conclude he's had a great struggle, but he's broadening it out. And just kind of a little fact, we talked about, you know, there's some dispute on whether this is absolutely uh, Pauline or whether this was written on his behalf, uh, maybe at the end of his life or after his death. certainly could have been written after his death. Um, But... There's also debate on on who exactly is this written to. And this is one of those spots where we we can come across some question, right? So it says in in chapter 1 that this, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ uh, at Colossae. But then here we we have uh, this other region, this broader region mentioned. mentioned. He says, uh, I have a struggle for you, for those at Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face. Almost stretching this thing out to the entire Gentile world, all who have not seen me face to face. And so scholars kind of wonder whether this is evidence that this letter uh, should have been circulated um, and, and read in several different places, and not specifically and only for uh, the church that was in uh, in Colossae. But because we don't know about uh, much about Colossae uh, after, uh, then then it's hard for us to to uh, to come to a full understanding there. But but anyway, that's that's a thought. But he wants something to happen in all of these people, regardless of, of who we're talking about here. We've kind of uh, sketched that out. But he wants something to happen. He he wants there to be encouragement. And in verse 2 he says that their hearts may be encouraged. Now look at what what he's desiring. He says, so in this encouragement that they're knit together in love in order to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and in and of and of knowledge. So what is he, he what he's going to do here is, uh, and, and then let's, I know this is crazy, okay? I'm sorry. Read verse four. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So what's he now introducing? Now he's going to introduce some friction. He's going to introduce some tension. He's going to introduce a challenge to this group of believers. And what is that challenge? It's a challenge that we read in, in many, 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 many letters. But what is the challenge? The challenge is: What does it look like for us to stay firm in Christ amidst pressure against what we believe? That, 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 if you could just paint a huge, broad-stroke picture, uh, it's it's uh, standing firm in the faith uh, against pressure. Uh, to deny Christ Pressure to Just kind of get swept up in, in worldly philosophy And that's what he's going to start introducing If we get into the meat of chapter 2 This is what he's giving them ammo against Is what does it look like to hold firm In this gospel What does it look like to remain firm In the in the foundation of Christ Jesus and So this is the, What we have to do Is we have to understand That that's where he's going Because he, his desire His two desires Are for them to be knit together in love Okay, and for them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, two things he wants to happen in order to gird them up to for resistance. You guys tracking? I know this is a little chaotic. Okay, two things he wants to happen he wants to see unity. Right? He wants to see them knit together in love, and he wants them to reach full assurance. I'm going I'm to paraphrase, but he wants them to reach full assurance of the knowledge of this mystery, which is Christ. He wants them to know what they have and who they are in Christ. Okay? Those two things he sees as vitally important for them to come into the resistance that they're going to come into. In order for them to stand firm against other philosophy, against false prophecy, against all these different things that the church is going to have to come against, he thinks these two things are vitally important, that they're knit together in love, and that they understand the fullness of the mystery, which is Christ. And and, and look at how he describes it at the end. of verse two, uh, sorry, in verse three, in whom uh, are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. So you're beginning to see what Paul thinks are going to be uh, the, the uh, attempts to kind of undermine them, right? And those attempts, we know Greek philosophy, right? We, we know that, the, that wisdom and knowledge are held really, 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 really high. And here's what he, so here's what he says. He says, In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't get swept away with this idea that there's greater wisdom, there's greater knowledge to be had in, in, the, in worldly philosophy. He's going to mention that more deeper into, verse, uh, into chapter 2. He's saying, Be knit together in love, so it's this bond of unity, and knowing that, and having assurance that in Christ is everything that you need. Okay? Those are the two things that he saw is extremely extremely important let's talk about the first one just real quick and let's let's have a conversation okay so I'm not just going to ask rhetorical questions i'd like for your feedback. Why do you think that I mean his first mention is that you would be knit together and, and i don't know the imagery that you have but uh, but if you think of somebody Sewing or knitting it 's a very uh very detailed process of bringing things together, right and he says, "I want you to be knit together uh, in love. Why do you think this type of intimate uh community is the very first thing that he lists as kind of a uh, for them to be girded up uh, against what would what would come against them? Why do you think unity is so important here okay yeah, so there won 't be division created by lies, okay Okay. Yeah, it displays who God is, certainly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's great. There's a huge, I think she hit the nail on the head. There's a huge element here where we're talking about strength. We're talking about strength in the community that comes in Christ Jesus. That if we're knit together in love, that we are we are strong as we face the things that would that would come against us. The second thing uh, that he talks about, and this one's a little, uh, he he goes into a little bit more detail. So so let's read it uh, to reach all the riches. Now notice just notice some of the vocabulary here, to reach all the riches of. Full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, if, if you're not careful, if you just read the the, the beginning piece, what you begin to th- what you could think is, he says, uh, the riches of full assurance of understanding and, and knowledge. You kind of go, okay, so to know all. Is the is the aim right to, to to attain a high level of knowledge is is the aim and is that what he's talking about? No, because he kind of makes this shift. He says, "I want you. There's something I want you to know and understand, but I want you to have the riches of full assurance of of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery." And what's he going to point all that understanding and all that knowledge at? Christ. So the riches of full assurance of what. Knowing the mystery, and the mystery is Christ. And here's the, and then he's gonna he's gonna kind of flip it uh, around again. In whom, right? In whom are uh, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I don't want you to have full assurance of having all wisdom and knowledge. I want you to have the full assurance of the the riches, like knowing the riches of knowing the mystery. I want you to have all wisdom and knowledge of Christ. And in having all the assurance and wisdom and knowledge in Christ, you'll have all wisdom and knowledge. Right? (laughs) Because in Him is all wisdom and knowledge. So our aim... It's not as the world would say, and, and, and the enemy uses this over and over and over again, and he just, he just uh, uh, kind of camouflages into whatever culture, but the enemy has always known the weakness of mankind is our desire and our thirst to know. This is, this is what we love. We love to know because to know more, is it feeds the God complex of your flesh. Right, and so what did he tell Eve? We've talked about this before. What did he tell Eve? If you'll eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll what? You'll know, right? You'll see as he sees. You'll know as he knows. And what is that found in the knowledge of good and evil? If you could just know more, you'll be like God. And it's the same thing. This is the, this is the same thing that Paul is is girding them up against. He's saying, listen, to know and to be wise is good, but you need to know the riches of the mystery, which is Christ, and then you'll know and be wise in all because in him is all wisdom, right? Because what he wants them to begin to do is he wants them to begin to think like the kingdom. He wants them to begin to think in terms of the kingdom. And kingdom wisdom and knowledge is different than earthly wisdom and knowledge. Right, The traditions and the philosophies of man are backwards and different from the kingdom. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, know this mystery, pour all your energies into knowing the riches of what has been given to you in Christ so that the wisdom and knowledge you'll have is what's in him because that's the wisdom and knowledge that is of the kingdom and not the wisdom and knowledge you would gain from human tradition. Right, You guys... Tracking that, it's a little bit of a confusing argument, but he he is uh, pressing them to know Christ. And I would ask us this, just based on reading that: Do we know? Do you know the riches of full assurance of understanding of Christ? Do we know what it means to be His? Do you know i love the word riches do you know the the wealth and the riches and i don't obviously i'm not talking about monetary but do, do we know what has been given us because we are his do you know what it means to be his have you familiarized yourself with this Christ, who is the, the mystery that has blown away all human thought and reason, is that God would come and die and give himself in order to live in us, right? Do you know this mystery? You know that is what is yours because of Christ. And I think, I'm telling you, I think that, that so much of our struggle in our day to day Christian life is because we don't know what God has given us in Christ. That we walk around like we're poor beggars on the streets of the kingdom. And the reality is we're sons and daughters. And God has given us all things in Christ Jesus. And if we would just know the riches of the full assurance of, of who he is, then we would operate in a total different mentality. You know, that's why, and I, I'm a broken record, but I, I think it's why Jesus' statement in John 5.20 is so important. In 5.19, he says, I, know, I, I only do what I see my father do. And in 20, he says, the father loves the son and shows him all things that he's doing. Jesus walked the earth with never a doubt in his mind that God was going to give him everything he needed for the moment. Think about what that would be like in our lives now. Think about think about what would and and, and maybe you're experiencing this. I, I mean, I know I know there's moments where I experience this in in portions, but I'm going. I want to experience this more and more and more. I want to constantly know and be assured that everything I need for whatever's right here, God has already given me in Christ. That I'm not, I'm not going. God, I hope that you come through here. I hope that you give me what I need. That in Christ Jesus, He's already given me everything I need, regardless of whatever that I'm in. And here's where, here's where Jesus' confidence came from, because the Father loves the Son. And for many of us, that's what it comes down to. Do you see yourself as overwhelmingly loved by God? Because to know that you're loved by God is to be a son and a daughter. A son and a daughter knows how much their father loves them. And knowing how much their father loves them is what allows them to be totally confident in the provision that their father will bring. Think about that on an earthly sense. I, I would think, I don't know how you get in the psyche of a five-year-old. But I would think Shiloh doesn't, uh, any of my kids, I I would think they never probably doubt at all the provision of their lives. Not yet. They'll struggle with that someday, but they don't don't wonder where food's going to come from. They don't doubt the, the provision of their lives. Why? Because they know the love of their father and of their mother. To be a son or a daughter is to know that God loves you. Absolutely. And it's to not doubt the provision. And I, I'm just one. So, so these words just make me wonder, do we really know what has been given us in Christ Jesus? Just, just, a, just a thought. And if we doubt that, do you know how much God loves you? Do you really know? Or is it just something that we say in church? Yeah, God loves me. Yeah, God loves me. Do you really know he loves you? Have you really, have you really slammed up against that perfect love? Have you really experienced what that's like? Because that'll change your life. Okay, we'll move on. All right, so he says, in whom uh, are hidden all the treasures uh, of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, Just a quick note there again, and I've said it before, but he's trying to get them to shift and to think like the kingdom. That to get wisdom and knowledge On the earth, we pursue wisdom and knowledge, right? To get wisdom and knowledge in the kingdom is to know Christ. Because he is wisdom and knowledge. And so to know him and be his is to have access to all wisdom and knowledge. And here's the deal. It's right wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, that's a big difference. (laughs) It's right wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so here we go. Um, Let's go to... Well... We'll just go to verse four. Uh, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Again, I've kind of already captured that. Here it comes, plausible arguments. The delusion of the faith with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay, therefore, and here we go. Everybody with me. What's the therefore, therefore? You ought to ask it every time you see it in the scriptures. What's the therefore, therefore? Come on, that was really I, less than half-hearted, I would say. That was really bad. Okay. So here's his, here's his, uh, his stressor, okay? In, in verse 6, he says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. If we were to break that apart in the Greek, we'd see that the emphasis on that, uh, on that sentence is the walk in him, Okay? So have you, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Because he's just told them that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are right. Where are they? They're, they're in Christ. So he says, now you've received Christ, so walk in him he's stressing that the the resistance against the plausible arguments the deceit of of humans uh, i'm sorry of mankind of our of our philosophy and our tradition that the ammo for that deceit is found in being in Christ in Christ is all wisdom and knowledge as you've received him so walk in him okay i don't think i need to do another broken record thing we're not human beings right i'm sorry we're not human doings we're human Beings, we're, our job is to live in him. We were created to live in him and from him, not do things for him. So Paul's stress is be in him, okay? Uh, and he says, verse 7, rooted and built up. Where? Yeah, there you go. Walk in him, rooted and built up. Every, somebody besides Sam? In him. Thank you, Sam, though, because you were the only one. okay rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, I'm running a little bit out of time here, so we're going to jump into verse 8. See to it, now we're going to get a little more detailed here in terms of what they're going to be fighting against. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to where? Christ. Okay, so do you see the two options here? Do you see the two ways of thinking? Okay. One is according to what? The world. What is is his phrase? You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, human tradition. You're right. The world and human tradition. The other option... Is Christ. So what he's going to do is he's going to now talk about this is what it looks like to live and think and be wise and know in the kingdom. This is what it looks like to, be live, uh, to live and be wise and know according to human tradition. Okay, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to give you a little refresher. We've studied this uh, in big church. I love saying big church. just makes me feel like a kid. Big church. Y'all been coming to big church? Okay. (laughs) All right. First Corinthians. What did I say? Chapter one. That's where we're going. Okay. Look at verse 18. So he's going to, this is Paul again. He's going to talk a lot about human wisdom. Okay. And and I want to make a few, a few comments again about Colossians, but let's read this. So this is long. Everybody take a deep breath. We're going to read 18 through 31. It's more than 10 verses. You got this. All right, here we go. For the word of the cross is what? Folly. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. It's a great word, thwart. Verse 20, don't get sidetracked. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You track that sentence? That's a tricky one. Let me go back. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Right? Do you see it? It was God's wisdom that didn't let us know him through wisdom. Right? Right? We're seeing the, the difference in the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven and the wisdom of men. So in the wisdom of God, he didn't let us know him through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. So it was God's delight that through foolishness, according to human wisdom, to save those who would believe. Yeah? It was God's delight that through foolishness, according to human wisdom, we might be saved and know him. For the Jews demanded signs. Y'all, y'all good? Okay. Good, good. For the Jews demanded signs and Greeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. This is the wisdom of God that he's speaking of. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Right? So it's this wonderful explanation. That what we are saved by is, in fact, the wisdom of God. It is the wisdom of God to make Christ like us to die and to be raised that we might be saved. That is the wisdom of God. But it is not the wisdom of man. And that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That to us, if we look at the gospel through human lenses, what would we call it? Foolishness. This is absurd that God would become us and die on a cross that we might be saved. This is absolutely absurd that God would take on my individual sin, that he would take on the sin of us corporately, that he would bear on himself the sin of humanity and die the death of a criminal. That's foolishness, but it's the wisdom of the kingdom. And if we're going to understand the kingdom, we have to begin to... See things through the wisdom of the kingdom. Because here's what he says. But in the wisdom of the kingdom, to God, it is wisdom that Christ would do this. And it is our salvation. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That's the nicest insult I've ever seen written. (laughs) Right? I wish I could do that. Mine don't ever come off that nice when I. (laughs) I'm going to read it again. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, and not many of noble birth. But here's verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us, here it is, remember he said, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is, it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts, uh, sorry, boast in the Lord. You did it. More than 10 verses. Do you see the difference in kingdom wisdom, God's wisdom, and human wisdom? And Paul is urging them that you must think the way the kingdom thinks in order to resist what's coming. Because what's coming is this thing, this Christ that you're following, this gospel that you preach, what's going to come at him from culture? This is foolishness. We would look at what Paul, just think about what Paul has done with his life. Think about what we were just read in verse 24 through 29. What would the world call that? What would the American dream call that? It's absurd foolishness that you would pour out your life for a sacrifice for others. Get yours. Right? It's absurd to live on the earth according to the wisdom of God. And Paul's telling them this is the rationale that's coming. Because it's going to be according to, what does he say? Go back to Colossians. I know I transitioned and you didn't. Go ahead, come on. Go back to Colossians, back to Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Let me ask you this. Is knowledge bad? Is wisdom bad? Is understanding negative? No. The key here is according to human tradition. According to human tradition tradition. Wisdom and understanding and knowledge, these things are wonderful and brilliant. And do you get to have them? Yes. And where are they found? In Christ Jesus. Right? So walk in him. Because what's coming against you is according to human tradition the way that you're living and what you're saying is foolishness. Read Matthew 5 through 7 through the lens of human wisdom. Makes no sense. The Sermon on the Mount makes absolutely no sense. The Beatitudes make no sense. They're totally and completely backwards according to human tradition. But read it through the wisdom of God, which we've been given in Christ Jesus, and you go, oh, yeah, of course, that makes absolute and perfect sense in Christ Jesus, according to the kingdom. So there's a vast difference between the knowledge and the wisdom of man and human tradition and that which is Christ's. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, this is a weird place to stop, but this is where we're stopping, okay? Here's what he's ab- about to do. He's about to elaborate. Don't check out. I didn't mean that we're done. I just meant that's where we're stopping. That Okay, come on. So what he's about to do is he's about to explain the Fullness and the robustness of what we've been given in Christ Jesus. You understand this? It's imp- so that that's that's why it's a weird place to stop because he, what he says is, um, "See to it that no one takes you uh, captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ." And he's to say, "And here is Christ. Here is." all that you've been given in Christ. So in case you doubt what I'm saying, in case you you know go, well, that'd be nice if I had all wisdom and assurance in Christ. In case you doubt that, here's all that he has done for you. This is the access that you have. And that's what he's about to explain so that he can point back to them and say, there's no excuse for you to falter because you need to be knit together. You have this community that's knit together in love and you have all wisdom and all knowledge in Christ Jesus. And here's proof that you do. Right, And I think we need to hear that preached over us a few times because our excuses are pretty lame. How easy it is, uh, is it for us to get caught up in human rationale, human understanding, and not according to, to Christ? And what does it come back to? Do you know what you have in him? Do you know that you've been called to live according to the wisdom of God and not according to the traditions of man? And do you know that living according to the wisdom of God is going to look different than the traditions of man? And do you know that it's going to come with resistance? Don't be so weak. Don't be so weak to believe that you living according to the wisdom of the kingdom of God is going to be no resistance for you. Resistance will come because human tradition is going to look at the way you're living and making decisions and go, eh. Why? And you're going to have to stand up to that. But you can't stand up to that with human wisdom and rationale. When, When human wisdom and rationale tries to take you off of the hard line that you're walking, living according to the kingdom, you can't argue back with human wisdom and rationale. Why? Because the way you're living is foolishness. You with me? You guys ever get into this on on the inner man? When the Spirit of God prompts action and you go, "Ah, that's foolish. (laughs) It's the very same thing. When the Spirit of God, I mean, I don't know, I'll just make something up. But when the Spirit of God says, hey, how about you give this away? And you go, well, how about not because I need this, right? (laughs) To give anything away is against human wisdom and rationale, right? But again, the kingdom... To a God that's infinitely wealthy and has everything that you'll ever need and says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about anything. Give it away because I have four more. (laughs) Right? According to the wisdom of the kingdom, that makes perfect sense. But when we take what is the spirit and what is kingdom and we try to rationalize it in the soul, we try to make sense of it according to human wisdom and understanding, it never fits. You're never going to be able to justify the way that you're living. You're never going to be able to justify who you are in Christ Jesus to a world that is living in human wisdom and rationale. Don't even, don't even take up the argument. Live according to the wisdom of the kingdom. You with me? And we need to stand firm in that and, that, and standing firm in that is knowing that what you've been given in Christ. And I think a lot of times our weakness, our shakiness comes because we don't know what we've been given in Christ. So when resistance comes we just kind of default to human wisdom and tradition because we don't know how to how to stand firm on what we've been given in Christ because we're not sure it's really there. You with me? That's why he's going to just exaggerate and elaborate, not exaggerate, he's going to elaborate on what who Christ is and what you've been given. You need to know because I'm going to ask you to anchor there and and stand there against all resistance. You guys tracking? Hey, we got a lot of people involved in doing stuff. So people start to get up and leave. Y'all just bear with me, okay? Bless them as they go. You can just pray for them as they go. They're going to serve or do something. And if you do too, great. Y'all tracking with me? Cool. It'll always happen at about 1030, which is great because that no, that means I got to wrap up. People start leaving. It's like, that's my cue. Okay, shut it down. But please don't shut it down with me. You guys just stay tracking. Let's let the Lord finish what he wants to say to our hearts. So that's what we're going to uh, pick up. Uh, next week is we're going we're gonna to get in depth on what Christ has done and who he is on our behalf and what we have in him. So I know it's a weird spot to end. I know it's a weird little section we, we did, and I would do it different if I did it again, but I didn't. So here we go. Ready? Let's pray. God, help us to gain from this what you have spoken and given. Uh, we've, we've read your word, and there's truth in it. And so I just pray uh, that it would not be human wisdom, that we've heard this morning. I pray that it would not be my words or my thoughts. I pray that it would be the spirit of God that lingers and teaches us through these passages. God, we wanna know you. We wanna hear your word. So I pray that that is what has occurred. I pray for tomorrow night as we dialogue and wrestle through this with one another, that we would do it in love, but uh, but that we would go deeper with this and that this would not just remain something we've learned, but God, would you teach us to practice it would you actually build us and root us firmly on the wisdom of God? And we're not just hear that that's what we're supposed to do, but would we live that way today? Holy Spirit, would you empower us in a deeper and greater way to live according to the wisdom of the kingdom, to know that we've been given wisdom from on high, that all that we need is in Christ and we are in him too. God, just make that real for us today. May that actually be our experience to live in the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.